Hey, I'm excited to continue the series Anxious for Nothing, and there's no better feeling than when you realize that before you're coming out to talk about anxiety that you forgot to take your anxiety meds this morning. So I say that jokingly, but seriously, but also to let you know that if you are someone that suffers with anxiety and has to deal with that kind of thing, that doesn't mean you're doing life wrong. Okay, that doesn't mean that you're disqualified from the love of Jesus or anything like that. What that means is you're human. Okay, so uh, that, that's nothing to, to God. Hey, listen, Pastor Ryan just thought he was closing out this series last week. This has been an incredible series. It's really spoken to me, and I am so excited to continue this series today. And here's what makes me nervous anxious. Here's what makes me nervous is when I get this feeling of being alone, when I get this feeling of being isolated and being by myself and anxiety and fear and and chaos in our lives sometimes has the ability to create this feeling in our brains that we are alone, that we are isolated. Uh, Chaos and, and things happen in our lives and we start thinking, Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands what I'm dealing with. Nobody cares. There's nobody here for me. But I want to remind you today that even if you were completely abandoned by everyone in your life, seemingly, I want you to understand today that we are never truly alone. I want to talk today about uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It comes from Judges 6 and 7. It's the story of Gideon. And this story, it is a story of Gideon's faithfulness. And it is a story of God's uh, trustworthiness, but it begins in a place that we've either all found ourselves previously or maybe we're in at this point in our lives, and it begins in a place of doubt. Now, some people think the Old Testament is boring. People think, hey, there's a lot of names in there I can't pronounce, a lot of things I can't say, and I, I start getting that head nod when I start to read the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is really cool. There's a lot of things going on here, and it kind of reads like an action movie uh, when you're in, in books like, like Judges. Uh, lots of violence, lots of crazy things happening. And uh, even in the Old Testament, you've literally got bears eating children because the children made fun of a bald guy. So teenagers, just, just understand, uh, watch yourself, okay? It's definitely not boring. But Israel, in the time that we're talking about here, is in trouble. They're struggling, they're suffering, there's a lot of things going on. And it's because the people of Israel had decided, they had chosen not to trust God. They were unwilling to trust God. And the Israelites were not following God. And because of that, God decided to hand them over to the hands of Midian. They handed them over to the Midianites. And these Midianites were very oppressive rulers. Every year when the Israelites began to get ready to harvest their crops, the Midianites would come in and they would steal everything that the Israelites had worked so hard for. They would take their crops, they would take their livestock, and they were left with absolutely nothing. And this was a continual cycle. And the people of Israel at this point were very scared. They were very afraid. They were living in caves. They had isolated themselves because they wanted to maybe try to keep the things that they had worked so hard for. They were tired of things getting stolen from them. So they were hiding away and they were in isolation. So at this point, Israel starts to cry out to God. They start to cry out to God, and and we're going to see in Judges 6 and 7 the progression of this story. There's a lot of scripture here 
uh, in verses in chapter 6 and 7. So I would encourage you to go back and read it yourself. Some of this, you're going to get kind of the Cliff Notes version, but I'd encourage you to go back and read this whole thing. We start and we pick up in Judges 6.11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Uh, a couple of things I want you to notice real quick. He says, when the Lord comes and sits down and talks to Gideon, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The angel of the Lord comes. He finds Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. First off, you're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. It's not too hard to understand what a wine press is for, right? So here you've got Gideon. Uh, he's got his wheat. And the way they would thresh wheat is when they would prepare the wheat and when they would have it ready, they would go to what they call the threshing floor and they would take the prepared wheat and they would throw it up in the air and the wind would come through and it would blow out all the light, useless pieces of wheat and the heavier wheat, the good stuff, would fall onto the ground. But it meant that you had to be outside where there was a source of wind to make this right. But Gideon's in a wine press in a place that was most likely underground, in, in a pit or in a cave, okay? So what you can tell already is that Gideon is hiding. He's not where he needs to be. He needs to be out in the open, but he's underground. He's hiding because he's scared of the Midianites. He doesn't want them to take what he's worked so hard for, and he's isolated himself. But here's the thing. The entire nation of Israel is going through the same struggle. They're going through the same hardship, but they've all isolated themselves. Instead of working towards a common goal, they've all isolated themselves, and they probably all feel very much alone. Gideon in this moment probably feels very much alone. Here's the truth. So many of us at any given time are going through troubles and, and, and struggles in our lives, and we want to isolate ourselves. We want to hide that from people because we don't want anybody to think that we don't have our lives together. Right? We don't want anybody to see our mess. But the truth is, under the sound of my voice right now, or if you're watching online, there is somebody right here in this room that is either going through the same thing that you're going through, or they've been through something very similar in their life. And if we would get past the, the awkwardness of, of letting people know that we don't have our, our, our lives together necessarily, and we could come together and share these common experiences and common struggles that we deal with, maybe we wouldn't feel so isolated in our times of trouble. So we have Gideon, and he's hiding. And the angel of the Lord calls to him and says, the Lord is with you, and he calls him a mighty warrior. Now, it doesn't take very long to, to look at Gideon and realize there's nothing about Gideon right now that screams mighty warrior, okay? I'm not getting like full-on Chuck Norris vibes from Gideon. He's hiding. He's, there's no fight in him. He wants to just hide, and he wants to get through life, and he wants to get through the current situation. But God says, you're a mighty warrior. Verse 13 says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Remember, the, the angel of the Lord here is God. It is Jesus in the flesh in the Old Testament. Pastor Dan talked about it a few weeks ago. And there's not very many times that it happens, but in the Old Testament, sometimes God, Jesus, shows up and is standing face to face with somebody and talking to them. 
And what's Gideon's response? And he knows who he's talking to. He knows who he's talking to. And his first response to him, to God, is to question him. He says, wait a second. I'm not a mighty warrior. And all of this is your fault. You know what the Bible doesn't say? The Bible doesn't say that God disintegrated Gideon for asking him questions. It doesn't say that he killed Gideon right where he stood for asking questions. God allowed Gideon to question him. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God is big enough for my questions. That tells me that God understands even when I don't understand. Gideon says, you've abandoned us. Why did you do this to us? Why did you put put this on us? Where are all the blessings that you promised us? But I want you to remember why Gideon and the Israelites are in this position that they're in. It's because they chose not to follow God. In the beginning of this chapter, it says uh, the Israelites began to do evil in the sight of the Lord. But Gideon wants to blame God. Gideon wants to blame his circumstances on God. And I think we've all probably done that in some situation. We've looked and, and we don't ever want to... Uh, believe that our current situation has anything to do with our own actions. We hate the idea that we could potentially cause our own suffering. And that's what's happening with Israel right here. They're in this situation, but yet they want to blame God. They want to know why God has done this to them. But this is because of Israel's uh, selfish and prideful decisions. They thought they, they knew what was best. And at this point, they start to realize that it's not everything that they thought it was going to be. Now, let me make something very clear. Uh, not all suffering is an indication that you aren't trusting God. Okay? Just because you have to suffer doesn't mean that your faith isn't where it needs to be. It doesn't mean that you don't trust God enough. There are plenty of stories in the Bible, and we can look at Jesus as a prime example of someone that trusted God but still suffered. Jesus didn't suffer because he didn't didn't trust God enough. Jesus suffered because he trusted God and because of our actions, right? So just because you're having to go through something doesn't mean that it's an indication of of your trust level in God. So here's, here's Gideon. He's literally looking God in the face and questioning him. And this is God's response to him. In verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? And again, Gideon, he's like, let me remind you who I am. Even though God knows exactly who he is, he says, God, I'm the least of my tribe. I'm nobody. I don't have any fight left in me. You can't use me. Have you felt like that before? Have Have you ever had this thought? that I'm, I'm nothing. There's no way God could ever use me for something good or, or definitely use me to accomplish something great. But here's God's response again in verse 16. Gideon has all this doubt. He's got all these questions. But God's response is, I will be with you. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. He says, I'll be with you. God is asking Gideon to trust him, and Gideon is probably thinking, you know, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Here I am, I'm fighting. I'm not fighting. I don't want to fight. I don't have any fight left in me. I'd rather just hide. And God says, no, you're a mighty warrior, and you're going to save your people. 
Gideon's life probably isn't at all where he expected it to be. He's probably facing more adversity than he ever anticipated. And he may have been on the verge of giving up. But here we see Gideon is presented with this moment, presented with an opportunity to trust God. And at some point, like Gideon, we've got to make the decision to trust God. We have to make the decision whether or not to trust him. We have to decide if we will trust him to lead us even when it's difficult, even when things aren't easy, even when it's challenging. (coughs) To trust him even when the situation is full of adversity. But the question is, is it enough that God is with us? Is it enough for us to put our faith and trust in him? Because he never promises that it will be easy. God never promises us a life of, of carefree ease. In fact, Jesus tells us that in this life, you will have trouble. But what he does promise us is that we will not be alone. He promises that he will be with us. And is that enough? Is it enough that we're never alone? Gideon's hesitant. It's a huge task that that God has placed in front of him, so he asks for more proof, which may not be uh, the desired response that God wants, but he asks for more proof. He asks for a sign, and you can read more about this uh, on your own, but God shows up, gives him the proof that he wants, and he proves to Gideon that he is trustworthy, that God is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Gideon decides that he's willing, that he's ready. He's, he's going to take a step in faith, and he's going to trust God, and he's going to go into battle because he knows he's not alone. He knows that God's going with him. So Gideon goes out, and he, and he finds all of his, his Israelite friends, and he gets them all together, and they're going to go to battle. And he's able to amass an army of around 32,000 troops. Gideon goes from being utterly alone to suddenly being surrounded by literally an army. And he's probably feeling pretty good about the situation and feeling good about his circumstances. And and right before he's ready to attack, God says, hey, um, just before you do this, I want you to know you've got too many men. You've got too many men. This isn't the way we're going to do this. So um, tell your men that whoever among them are scared, they can leave. Gideon's probably a little confused right now. He's probably not so sure about what's going on, but he trusts God and he says, okay, guys, any of you that are scared, you can go. 22,000 men leave. It's almost 70% of his army. Gideon's probably gone from being reasonably confident to, to probably doing that little nervous laugh we do when things aren't going our way, that what have I got myself into? What is going on right here And then maybe Gideon calms down and he says, okay, but you know what? I've still got an army of 10,000. That's not bad. We can do this. We can go to battle. And God says, "Uh, yeah, but you still have too many men. So God continues to whittle Gideon's army down. He tells Gideon, he said, send your men to to drink from the stream. And God God continues to sort his men out by their manners and how they tend to decide to drink the water from the stream. So he whittles that army down now to 300 men. Men, he goes from having an army of of 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. It would probably be very easy at this moment for Gideon to start looking around, that anxiety to start creeping back in, that sinking feeling again that, hey, nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody knows what this is like. Everyone's leaving me. I'm, I'm starting to feel alone again. 
Look, the truth is that sometimes what God calls us to do can feel super risky. It doesn't make sense. And it feels very contradictory to our human thought process. Because you don't win battles with less troops, right? But here God is whittling this army down, taking away the numbers to where it's just Gideon and 300 men. But this is probably about the time that somebody walked up to Gideon, and I'm probably going to hurt somebody's feelings this morning, but uh, somebody, some well-meaning person walked up to Gideon and said, hey, listen, it's okay because God's never going to put more on you than you can handle. But I don't buy that. Okay, I don't buy that because if God only put enough on you that you could handle it, there'd be no reason for you to trust God. There'd be no reason for you to have faith in God. You wouldn't need him. If you could get through this life alone, what do you need him for, right? But God will allow you to go through things that you alone can't handle. We see it every, every day in our own lives. How many times have you struggled with something and you say, you know, I just can't do this by myself. Look at the story of Job. Look at the story of Paul. Look at the story of Gideon. Like I said, look at your own lives because there are are moments that we can't handle it. God will allow you to go through things that you can't handle on your own, but he will provide for you the grace that you need to get through every situation that you're presented with. It may not be the situation that we envisioned, and it may not end in the outcome that, that we most want that we desired but here here's the truth when we choose to trust God we have to trust his way not just our preferred outcome God asked Gideon to trust him and be part of something great being part of uh, delivering the Israelites from Midian and he's on board and his troops are on board and God says wait a second this is your way not my way I'm going to show you how we're going to do this. We're going to do this in a way that brings more glory to God than it, gives, than it does to man. The way God chooses may not make sense. And God is asking him here to trust his way. See, God never gave Gideon a blueprint at the beginning of this. He never mapped out from him to, from A to Z how this was all going to work. And even without knowing the plan, Gideon chooses to trust God. Oftentimes, the way we choose is not, uh, oftentimes the way God chooses is not the way we would choose. If we were to write our own story, we would probably leave out all those times that we had to struggle, all those times that we faced adversity. We would probably leave those things out so we didn't have to go through those, but that's not realistic. We don't have that choice. Trusting God means trusting his way even when it hurts and even when it doesn't make sense. Look where Gideon is now. God has reduced his army down to 300 men. And the guy that we saw at the beginning of this story, uh, very uncertain and questioning God about everything, is suddenly questioning nothing because he knows that God is going with him. He knows that if he has to go into battle by himself, he knows he's not going alone. He knows no matter what the situation is, God is by his side. Now we get to my favorite part of this story, and it gets a little crazy here. Uh, But chapter 7, verse 9 says, During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. 
The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley. Thick as locusts, their camels could no more be counted than sand on the seashore. I just want to tell you right now, that phrase, thick as locusts, sounds like a very Alabama phrase to say. Uh, It also sounds extremely disgusting. Um, But Gideon comes down to the camp, and he sees this vast army. And it says, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. He said, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. God tells Gideon, If you're scared, go down to the camp at night. Gideon's anxiety is starting to get to him. He trusts God but he's still a little nervous about the present situation. God knows this, and he still wants to assure Gideon, look, sometimes trusting God is scary. Trusting God doesn't mean that you're not going to be nervous in a situation where he's asked you to follow him. It doesn't mean that anxiety isn't going to creep in every once in a while. And I think it's so cool that God even recognizes this and provides an opportunity to continue to encourage Gideon in the midst of his anxiety. So he creeps down to the camp, him and his servant, and they're listening and they hear this guy starting to talk about his dream. This guy started dreaming about bread. Anybody dreaming about bread last night? Just me? Okay, no problem. Look, this guy was probably keto before keto was cool. This guy needs some carbs in his life. He needs something, okay? And he starts talking to his buddy who apparently, I don't know if this guy's crazy or if he just has a real wry sense of humor. I'll let that sit there for a second. That was a bread joke. Yeah, that was a bread joke. I know it was a little crummy, but, you know, listen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, A lot of bread humor here. But he says, his friend says, hey, this can only mean one thing. This must mean that God is going to give, give us over to the Israelites. I don't know where he gets that from. I don't know how this uh, loaf of bread rolling into camp uh, symbolizes God giving the Israelites, um, uh, taking Midian from them. But I don't know where that comes from, but it's fine. What this is, it's a seemingly insignificant moment that God is using to encourage Gideon. It's an insignificant moment that God, again, takes an opportunity to say, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm going with you. But God is beginning to work his plan. See, back then, dreams were very powerful. And I'm sure as word of these dreams start to spread throughout the camp, uh, the, the troops of the Midianites are starting to get a little nervous. They're starting to get a little worried. And suddenly, the anxiety that Gideon felt has shifted to the enemy. That anxiety has shifted, and suddenly Gideon is given a a fresh dose of courage. It says, when Gideon heard the dream and the interpretation, he worshipped God. He's encouraged, and Gideon goes back to camp, and he tells his men, he said, it's time for battle. And then in chapter 7, verse 7, uh, chapter 7, 16 through 18, it says this, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed the trumpet, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. 
Now, I don't know if any of you are military strategists in here, but this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't see anything about swords. I don't see anything about bow and arrows. I don't see anything about shields. I don't see anything like that. I see uh, jars and candles, okay? Now, if you're not aware, militarily speaking, this is called the bath and body work strategy, okay? (laughs) You've heard of kill them with kindness. This is kill them with candles. But nothing in this story right here is making any sense, Nothing is making sense. But with jars, candles, and trumpets, God causes the Midianites to turn on themselves, to turn on each other, kill each other, and deliver Israel into the hands of Gideon without a physical altercation taking place. Look at where we started. Look at where we started to where we are at this point. You've got this guy that has gone from doubt to questioning to trusting, and I think it's an incredible example and reminder of the fact that when it comes to trusting God, God meets us right where we are. God never gets mad at Gideon for a lack of faith. God never gets mad at Gideon for questioning him. He's patient, and he's willing to go along with Gideon to get him to a place of faith and a place of trust. Wherever we are today in our trust of Jesus, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little, Jesus promises to be there as we go through the struggles of life and as we go through the victories of life. Jesus doesn't walk away from us when things get too hard. Jesus doesn't walk away from us when we want to give up, throw our hands up, throw in the towel. Jesus doesn't walk away when we say, hey, why did we have to go through this? He just continues to be faithful even when we aren't. He continues to be trustworthy even when we can't trust He meets us exactly where you are. The other thing I want you to realize today is that trusting God requires action. It wasn't enough for Gideon to just simply say that he trusted God. He couldn't stay where he was, hidden away in that wine press. He had to put some action behind what he said. See, we don't show trust uh, in something or someone with just words alone. Trust requires action. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen trust fall videos or you've been a part of a trust fall or maybe you're sick like me and you watch the trust fall fail videos and just watch people fall. But that's the perfect example of putting trust into action because that trust fall captures something very significant. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of surrender to truly put your faith in someone else because the difference between saying you trust someone and actually putting your trust in someone is that we put our well-being in their hands. We put our well-being in in their hands. It's a surrender of the way that we do things. It's a surrender of our life, and that's what it means when we trust God. We surrender our way, and we put our well-being in his hands. See, following Jesus is an act of surrender. He says it's like dying to yourself so that you can live a completely new life. So what do we do when we find ourselves in life and we feel like we're isolated and we're alone and that nobody understands? Here's a few things that we can do. The first thing we can do is we can listen. We can pay attention. The angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon. He didn't have to listen to what he said, but he listened. He listened to what he had to say. And it it helped develop his trust of God. Look, we probably aren't going to have that same situation where the angel of the Lord physically appears in front of us to talk to us. 
but we can expect that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. Whether you already know and follow Jesus or if you're just open to hear from him, the Holy Spirit can and will speak to you and he will invite you to follow Jesus. We can also find community. We listen and we find community. See, God is always with us, but I'm telling you, it's very hard to feel alone when you're surrounded by others. So in terms of listening and trusting God, we do this in community because we learn, we learn to trust best and we're formed best when we're with other people who are trying to trust and follow Jesus also. That's why small groups are so important to what we do here at Cornerstone because they help us cultivate a, a relational way to move from learning about Jesus to being changed and learning to live like Jesus. This isn't a commercial for small groups today, but I'm telling you, when you have a community around you and you're going through the struggles of life and you're facing challenges, it makes things that much easier. So you may be in a finance small group or a marriage small group. You're not just learning how to get your finances or your marriage in order. You're learning how to continue to build your life on Jesus and how to develop that relationship with him. Some of you are like Gideon at the beginning of this story. Uh, you're hiding from the reality of your situation. You just, you're kind of on the verge of giving up. Maybe you've thrown your hands up and you're just going to say, you know what, I'm just, I just want to get through whatever I'm getting through. And you've, you've hidden that from other people. You're tired of fighting and you feel like you don't have any fight left in you. You feel like you're alone. Remember what God said to Gideon, verse 16, chapter 6. He said, I will be with you. I will be with you. I'll be with you in your grief. I'll be with you in your anxiety. I'll be with you in your loneliness. I'll be with you on the mountaintop, and I'll be with you in the valley. Jesus tells his disciples the same thing in Matthew 28, 20. He says, I will be with you always, not just in the good times, not just in the bad times. He said, I'm going to be with you always. I want you to understand today that trusting in God is not the absence of adversity, but it is the presence of peace and the promise that he will be with you. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you are in terms of your relationship with Jesus, and, and, and I don't know what struggles and, and, and difficulties that you may be dealing with. But if you haven't heard anything else that I've said today, I want you to hear me when I say that God will meet you wherever you are right where you are. He will never leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And you aren't alone in this. Maybe, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and today you say, you know what, I'm tired of fighting these battles alone. I'm tired of trying to, to just get through life with, and feeling like nobody understands what I'm going through. Today, if that's you and and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, all it takes, it doesn't take you raising your hand, it doesn't take you walking down front. What it takes is just a conversation between you and God. And all you have to say is something like, you know, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. I'm taking a step towards faith in you. And I know that doesn't mean that everything is gonna be perfect, but I know that with you that I'm never going to be alone. I give my life to you, I trust you with it doesn't have to be those words but just a simple conversation between your heart and God and maybe today you you do have a relationship with Jesus but maybe you've isolated yourself because you don't want anybody to know that you've got stuff in your life that's not all put together you need a community around you again this isn't a commercial for small group but find you a small group 
Don't isolate yourself. Find a community of people that believe with you and love you. And it's very easy. All you have to do is see me, Pastor Dan, Pastor Ryan. We'll get you connected with a community. We will get you connected because the truth is we were never intended to do life alone. And with God and through God, we are never alone. Let's pray.